Your body is an amazing machine. It turns food into energy, heals wounds, supports your consciousness, and so much more. But it needs the right fuel and signals to function at its best. Some of those signals include adaptogens. These are compounds that balance hormones and help you deal with stress in a healthier way. If you're feeling tired, these compounds give you a boost of energy. If you're stressed, they help you return to a natural state of calm. They literally help you adapt to the stress of life. My favorite source of adaptogens is Organifi. And this spring, I am loving Organifi Gold. This delicious tea contains powerful superfoods to help you sleep and recover so you can wake up feeling refreshed and energized. It supports rest and relaxation, a healthy immune response, and a better response to stress. It's my favorite bedtime snack. Just one scoop in warm water with a splash of almond milk is such a delicious, healthy treat that I look forward to as I wind down my day. Organifi takes pride and offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Head over to www.organifi.com slash best of you and use code best of you for 20% off your entire order. That's www.organifi.com slash best of you. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Allison, and I'm so glad you're here to discover what brings out the best of you. This podcast is all about breaking free from painful patterns, mending the past, and discovering our true selves in God. I can't wait to get started as we learn together how to become the best version of who we are with God's help. Hey everyone, and welcome back to today's episode of the Best of You podcast. I'm so glad you're here. So I have mentioned the Enneagram on this podcast numerous times, and almost always one of you writes to me and says, can you please tell us more about the Enneagram? And it is certainly one of my favorite and most well-loved psychology tools, so I thought it would be fitting to include it in this series. And so I invited my new friends, Lindsay and Jesse, on to tell us all about it. They are the co-hosts of an amazing podcast called The Enneacast. It's put out by their organization called Love Thy Neighborhood, which I'm really excited to learn more about from them today. Its mission is to disciple Christians, to serve their neighbors, cultivate healthy relationships, and follow Jesus in their culture and context. You can check out The Enneacast. It's a bi-weekly show that explores personality and the Enneagram through the lens of the gospel I had a blast recording an episode for their podcast with them. I discovered a couple of kindred spirits on this journey of bringing spiritual formation and the Bible together with all things becoming the best version of ourselves. And I am so excited to have Lindsay and Jesse on the Best of You podcast today to walk us through the Enneagram. Thanks for being here, guys. Our pleasure. Uh, yeah. yeah, we had such a good time. We are, we're just bringing the party over to your podcast. Yeah, right yeah. Just another chance to connect. <laughs> you guys really have an amazing blend of just fun and humor and playfulness and depth. A lot of depth in what you're doing. It's a really neat synergy. So thank you. Yeah, it's touching. It's like mm-hmm. something that we really revere. Like people come on and they share deeply personal things with us, you know, so there's a lot of tears shed. But also we will act like idiots Mm -hmm. and, you know, have a ton of fun. (laughs) And so we really are trying to like do this space where we're holding joy and sorrow together. Like both those things can coexist. Exactly. And you're also both just so real. So you kind of model, you know, you provide the way for us to just become ourselves and share what we're really feeling. So thank you. Well, we're aiming. We're aiming. We're trying. We're doing the work. We're trying. We're trying. (laughs) Well, Tell us, I was thinking to myself, I was like, jamming the Enneagram into one hour episode is going to be tough. But Mm -hmm. I do want to hear a little bit about how you each discovered the Enneagram and what it meant to you personally. Well, for me, I had heard about the Enneagram for a couple of years. I had actually taken a test many, many, many years before with a counselor and not followed up with the information. So then it became really popular while I was living overseas And I was really resistant to it because I had taken many personality tests with our missions organization. And I was like, don't we all have more to do with our lives than continue to navel gaze? But then we unexpectedly found ourselves stateside and somebody gave me a book. and I just thought, okay, like, let's just look into it. And within two chapters of the book, I was seeing the world in a completely different way. 
And it was something I really needed. It was like how we always joke, you know, why doesn't life come with a guidebook? To me, it felt like the guidebook. I all of a sudden saw people in a new way and had an understanding for how to navigate my relationships with them. Yeah. And then my my story is one, you know, that, that might be familiar with some of your listeners, which is I was on staff at a ministry and we'd spend all our time telling everybody about how Jesus loves them and how you should become a part of the family of God. And we all just wanted to choke the life out of each other. Like <laughs> we we were not getting along. You know, we were super dysfunctional. We second guessed each other. We bickered. We, you know, undermined each other's efforts. Like, so we're like presenting this picture of relational health, the beauty of the gospel. And uh, the truth is that we were like airplane salesmen and we hoped you didn't ask us if we knew how to fly. It was like, <laughs> we just like had no ability to actually do the work. So, so yeah, so some guys came in, uh, two retired pastors, and one of the tools they brought with us to help us in, in their mediation was this thing called the Enneagram. And it freaked me out the first time that I took it because it gave me such profound insights into myself that I had not been able to see before, mm. things that I was unwilling to take a look at. But it also gave me the ability to suddenly understand why the people around me were acting the way that they were, and that it wasn't just to drive me crazy, and it wasn't just because they were immoral, and it wasn't just because it was from these much deeper places. And really, the fundamental reality is none of us see the world the same. Yeah. We're, we're all approaching life different. And the Enneagram gave language for us to be able to talk about those things in ways that brought unity to us instead of driving us further apart. That's beautiful. So tell us, what is the Enneagram and why do you think it's so different from other tools that people may be more accustomed to? I'll give the short answer and then you can give the long okay, answer. Do, yeah, deal, deal. Usually it's the opposite. He's got the like wordsmith and I'm like, here's five pages of an answer. But I really just look at the Enneagram. It's a personality tool that talks about the nine archetypes that we see in humanity. And I think it's it can be more useful than other tools because of its flexibility and movement. So it's not just telling you, this is your type. Okay, goodbye. You know, it's it's actually asking you to be curious about your life story. You know, what's brought you here? What are those triggers that are activating you in your daily life that you're completely unaware of? Like Jesse said, that we're wearing these lenses that we don't even know we have on and we don't realize other people have different ones on and that it's changing the way we behave and the way we relate. And so I love that the Enneagram gives you movement and like tools for this is an area where you could grow. This is an area where you could move out of your ego response and find a truer way, you know, to kind of take your white knuckles off the steering wheel a little bit. Yeah. The way that I often say it is that the Enneagram, it's a theory of personality that explores the patterns in the ways that we perceive, process, and present to the world. And that all of us have particular fixations. And the Enneagram really attempts to unearth what those fixations are, in part so that it can invite us to begin to confront those trances and fixations mm -hmm. that we focus so much on okay, this is how I'm going to get my security, my safety, my value, and begin to invite us into a broader way of seeing. And as Christians, when we apply the gospel to that, it's the invitation into what does the abundant life look like? Well, at some level, that is definitely going to include that my way of seeing is not quite as narrow, that there's a, there's a broader way and that Jesus reveals that in the gospels and his own character and his own way of being, and that he's inviting us into that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like how you guys are describing it as there's movement, there's flexibility. Mm -hmm. And that was, for me, it's so different than sort of, we've talked in this series about different traits, you know, that have been researched in psychology that are sort of fixed and, you know, different types of intelligence. But with the Enneagram, there's so much richness and so much depth to it, as you guys are getting at, in that it reveals both strengths and the weaknesses, right? Mm -hmm. the, that are ver the very things that fuel us and that become our strengths, the gifts we have to offer the world can be the very things that are our Achilles heel, you know? Yes. That's the stunning part of it because we all know that about ourselves. And I think that's why when you look into it, you're like, oh, it's actually showing me, oh, this thing I kind of pride myself on, but then there's the dark side of that that I kind of tried to hide. They're both right there in the Enneagram. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of, uh, there was this TV show on Netflix called uh, Kevin Hart Can't Stop. And of course, like Kevin Hart is like the famous comedian. And 
He's insanely successful. He's got hundreds of people that are employed by him. And the same thing that makes him so charismatic and funny and entertaining and such a great, you know, successful business person, it's also the thing that in the show is revealed, it's also destroying his life. And to your point, Allison, like the Enneagram helps us understand what thing is my strength, but what thing am I expecting to do something it is incapable of doing for me, but I continuously expect it to be able to do those things. Yeah, that's a great example. That's so interesting. I want to spend some time going through the nine types. So as best you can, give us an overview. Let's just go ahead and kind of run it. Okay, well, we will start with type one. So type one, we call the reformer. And these people are driven by this desire to be good, like morally right, people of integrity. And what that looks like is they're honest, they're hardworking, they're ethical, they're conscientious, they're reliable. But the unresourceful side, you know, like you said, the other side of that same coin is that they can become judgmental. You know, there's a good way and a bad way. They have very black and white thinking. They're rigid, even in their physical bodies. They get really, you know, their shoulders are up. They're so diligently working. They're trying so hard. They become resentful because no one else is trying to be good in the way they are and demanding, you know, critical of others. And the big thing for the one is that they have this inner critic that's just constantly driving them. Like, here's a problem. This is wrong. You're not doing it good enough. You're bad. You need to try harder. But then that comes out as also judgment of others. And so people think, well, they can dish it, they can take it, and actually they can't. They're very sensitive because they already have that megaphone going on in their minds. That's such a good description. I have so many ones very mm-hmm. close to me in my life and that angst. Yeah. And is another way of putting it the perfectionist? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. That that angst of I don't think people realize that inner critic is just as loud as yes. any criticism that is flowing out toward anybody else. So it's a really beautiful, and again, as we've been talking about fraught, right? There's yeah. some beauty in it. They bring so much goodness, so much of that loyalty. These are folks who are just doing it right. And then that dark side, right, of that resentment or that anger, that criticism Mm -hmm. that can really trip somebody up. Mm -hmm. You put that so well. It just filled my heart with love for those ones Mm -hmm. that... (laughs) Yes, yes, me too. Yeah, and I think, Allison, it's probably worth mentioning this, is that our working philosophy is that all human beings have all nine of these that we're about to describe as ingredients in our personality to greater or lesser degrees. So as we say this, regardless of whether you we come across one, you're like, that sounds like me verbatim. There's probably going to be a lot of other elements you hear that go, well, that also sounds a lot like me. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, to Lindsay's point earlier, like that's one of the beauties of the Enneagram is this sort of fluidity, this ability Mm -hmm. to go, I'm a complicated person. I love that you said that, Jesse. We just did a series on the podcast on internal family systems, which is the topic of my first book. So we did a six weeks deep dive into this idea that we all are made up of parts. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that has helped me the most with the Enneagram is to think about my primary Enneagram number as a part, the part of me that's closest. Mm -hmm. But then I really do have relationships to all the different parts. Some are further out. Some I need to bring a little bit more in. And ultimately, probably you guys have arrived at this too. I assume that Jesus is the ultimate kind of representation of all nine Mm -hmm. parts. Is that the whole of all? Yes. Yes. Which is why he's unpredictable. When you read the Gospels, unlike Every other character in scripture, there's a, you know, or any story, there's an extent to which we can guess how the character is going to behave. But Jesus is totally unpredictable. He acts this way in this moment, this way in the next moment. And it's because he is much more wholly integrated than any of us are. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so yeah, we say he's the fullness of all nine types in their full expression. That's so cool. I love that. Okay. So back to your question. You asked about type two. So type two, we call these folks the helper. Some people like to call them the befriender. These folks, these are like nurses. I feel like these people live with scrubs on all the time. Like they just take care of people. So these folks are generous. They are supportive. They're encouraging. They're thoughtful, caregiving. They're compassionate. And they are sacrificial. They will give you the shirt off Mm -hmm. their backs. They will clear their calendar. These folks love to give themselves to others that are in need. However, when they're unhealthy, they actually become intrusive. If you think of the mother on Everybody Loves Raymond, who lived Mm -hmm. across the street, and all her goodness wanted to help. She just didn't have any boundaries. Mm -hmm. Uh, They become possessive. (laughs) They can become codependent, where they seek out people with high needs 
so that they always feel needed themselves to fill emptiness inside. They can become people pleasers. They need to be needed. And it can really shock people. They can be so warm, but if they feel underappreciated, they can become quickly very angry. And the number one struggle that folks that are type twos uh, struggle with is just the issue of boundaries. Mm -hmm. Boundaries are just going to be an ongoing lifelong journey for folks to figure out where they end and other people begin. That's so well put. So many of those. I think there's also a lot of twos in the therapy world. Yeah. And I think a lot of women, depending on, you know, if you're Mm -hmm. below the Mason-Dixon line and, you know, especially if you're raised evangelical, that a lot of us have this as one of the characters inside of us is, you know, we were told this is who you're supposed to be. So you're either struggling against that's not who I am or you're, you know, overemphasizing that part of you to some extent. And we talked about this a little bit when I came on your podcast, but a couple of thoughts on that. One is almost every woman as a Christian counselor, as my clients would go through and take the Enneagram, they almost always test out at twos initially Mm -hmm. because we're so supposed to look like twos Mm -hmm. as Christian women. I write about this in The Best of You. I tested out as a two. I thought I was a two for a very long time Mm -hmm. to only to realize I wasn't. And so I do think that's important for women who are listening that a couple of people have asked me about gender and the Enneagram, and it's something I wanted to kind of touch on with Mm -hmm. you guys. And it doesn't just relate to the two. I'm sure that men are socialized to be certain types of numbers as Mm -hmm. well. But just to always kind of keep that open mind of what is that mask in a way that we feel like we're supposed to wear that isn't really reflective of the true inner workings of our hearts. So I love that you said that. It's good. All right. Well, we'll go to the three. This is our achiever. So these are people with a lot of energy, with drive. They're very efficient. They're goal-oriented. They're motivated, and they're also motivating. Like, people are just drawn to them, and they're competent, and they're very adaptable. You know, they can go from this group of people to that group of people and kind of alter their personality to really make those people feel comfortable. I think you're the one who says, Jesse, that it's like they're always creating the shortest distance like between the other person and themselves. So it's like whatever I have to do to kind of make this a short bridge, I can become that. That's well put. Mm -hmm. Good job, Jesse. (laughs) (laughs) I, I resonate with that. Yeah. Yeah. But the flip side of that is they're very chameleon-like. You know, they, they're very image conscious. Like, you know, what are they projecting out there? They can be out of touch with their inner authentic self because they're always morphing into these different personalities. And they can be inauthentic, addicted to positive attention, and manipulative. You know, they can use their powers for good or their powers for not so good. Mm-hmm. They get lost in between the public role that they're Mm -hmm. portraying at that moment, whether that is, you know, I'm a competent nonprofit leader or whether that is I'm a business person or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But they get confused between what it means to portray success and then who they actually are. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so a lot of a lot of threes have got to really do the work of coming home to themselves Mm -hmm. and beginning to go who am I? And and the big catch for threes is that they they become addicted to adoration. Mm-hmm. So the applause of other people have a very intoxicating effect on the three that it doesn't hold on other types. But for the three, it's there's almost like a it can kind of get drunk off of it. It just feels mm-hmm. like love. And so the three has to do the work of separating out, you know, the admiration of others with genuine actual love from the people in their life that it matters. Mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of reflecting. I have really high three, but when I initially tested, I had actually on the test only had like 20%. I just found my like original results Mm -hmm. because my achieving was so much like the one, so much like being the good girl, doing it all right, you know, following the rules, very rigid, all that. But I was reflecting on my life story and things over the last year. And I just realized all these times in my life where I, I had that, whatever the image was. So like I was a cheerleader And that was kind of who I was, you know, at school. I was like, I am a cheerleader. This is what I do. I have this role. And it was very, you know, attention receiving. And then my faith didn't really jive with how that was going. So I I left, you know, cheerleading. And then it was like, I have to create a new identity for who I am at school. And, you know, I did that. And then when we moved to Louisville, I really wanted to be on the worship team because I, I really love to sing. It's passion. It's one way that I could lead as a woman in the church. And I worked really hard at that. And I, I became, you know, part of this core team. And then when we went overseas, I had this moment, this day, like a memory that I have where I was rehearsing for Sunday and all of a sudden it hit me 
I think it was my last Sunday and I thought, I'm not going to be a worship leader anymore. Like that's no longer like my title, you know? And and I I wept. Like I was so sad that I kind of made a place for myself in that spot. But then I became a missionary. And so then I was a missionary, you know? And like, that's a great title, you know? And I was a little embarrassed by that one. Like, cause I never felt like I fully lived into it. Like I never really achieved it. And then unexpectedly, we had to come back stateside. And then I was no longer a missionary. And it, I think all of the, you know, all the ones I was in my mid-30s, it was the right time for a midlife crisis. And it was like, all of a sudden, it was like, enough, you know? Like, you can't pick one thing that's going to be, you are this. Like, that's not who you are. But it is, I mean, it's been seven years since then. And I'm still cultivating, you know, what are those deeper, authentic pieces of myself that remain? And I found a few, Mm -hmm. but it's so automatic to be like, well, now I am this. Well, now I am Lindsay, the co-host of the IndiaCast. You know, now I am mother to these children. Like, am I doing that in a great way? And now that's my identity. And then you have a bad day mothering and now you're no longer, exactly, you know, that identity. And so, it can be really tricky because some of those things, you know, we just naturally have things we do. They're good things even. And we can make an identity. And I think this is true of the three. It's turning that identity into the thing that gives me worth, that makes yes. me a success. Mm-hmm. I am the best mom. I am the best mm-hmm. worship leader. And it's subtle because some of them are really good things. Yeah. But I love what you're saying. There's so much self-awareness in that, that realizing you were just kind of trading one identity for another. Yeah. And at the end of it, it's like, wait a minute, I can I just be enough? as me. And what does that really look like? What does that really mean? doesn't mean I won't be a great mom. doesn't mean I won't be a great worship. But that Mm -hmm. thing isn't the thing that I'm striving for. I think a lot about athletes. I don't want to go down too much of a tangent here, but, you know, I think about some of, you know, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady. I don't know. Like there's, you know, that so much of that identity and it it can propel this excellence. I think of the word Mm -hmm. excellence, right? That isn't bad. Excellence is a good thing in and of itself. However, <laughs> you know, at what cost and what happens when that goes away? Do you yeah. crumble? Kind of to your Kevin Hart example, you know, what's underneath that at what cost? Mm-hmm. And I love, Lindsay, that you're kind of painting that picture that is really easy to fall into. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think we're getting into like, you know, Tim Keller uses the phrase when good things become ultimate things. Yeah. And I think that the I think the Enneagram gives us a pathway to begin to go, what good gifts from God are present in my life, but in what ways have I made them ultimate? In what ways have I made them emotionally salvific? Like, I want them to be the things that define me as a person. And God in His mercy often has to come and tear it all down. Yes. Because it's a reminder to us that we have been bestowed with value that has nothing to do with our performance. Yeah. But often God has to let us suffer loss, let us suffer failure. He has to break the illusion. And that's a painful journey, but it's also kind of the only way forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That is so powerful yeah. and so resonant. Even the good roles, you know, I love mm-hmm. that. I can be the best friend. I can be the best mom. Whatever it is can become, I love that phrasing, can become emotionally salvific. Yeah. When in fact, it's not the thing at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Each year, millions of Americans face the reality of living with mental health challenges. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Last year, Christian Appalachian Project, CAP, provided essential mental health services to more than 900 individuals in Eastern Kentucky. Did you know that there is one quarter the number of mental health providers in the region compared to the national average? That presents a challenge to anyone seeking access to mental health professionals. CAP serves families and helps children who are dealing with the impacts of a variety of trauma. Counselors with Christian Appalachian Project often serve individuals with chronic, multi-layered problems. Recently, CAP's Family Life Counseling Services expanded into additional Appalachian counties. These caring counselors are committed to the value of the individual, the importance of families, and the wisdom of spiritual beliefs and principles. This work changes lives, strengthens communities, and creates a ripple effect for generations to come. Would you help us recognize the importance of mental health by donating to CAP today? Please visit christianapp.org slash mentalhealth T-S-F. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-A-P-P dot org slash mental health T-S-F. 
Are you interested in pursuing a career centered on the healing and wholeness of individuals, couples, and families? At Fuller's Master of Science in Marriage and Family Therapy program, you will work alongside a supportive community of faculty and students who are committed to the formation of heart, soul, and mind to further God's mission of redeeming the world. Fuller provides students with the clinical training to become skilled marriage and family therapists. You'll have the opportunity to engage in a broad range of therapeutic and spiritual formation practices, including exercises that simulate the counseling experience in real time. Licensed faculty members help equip students for their career and connect them with internships. Fuller students are not only widely recognized as the best trained in their field, but also have one of the highest pass rates for the state licensing exams. If you feel passionate about becoming an agent of healing and reconciliation in this world, go to fuller.edu slash best of you to learn more about Fuller's MS in Marriage and Family Therapy program. That's fuller.edu slash best of you. Well, let's talk about type fours. So these folks are called the originalist. And they're driven by a really deep desire for authenticity, Mm -hmm. a desire to really live into the truth of who they are. They have a strong resistance towards just playing the part for the sake of fitting in, for the sake of whatever, but they want to be true to the truth of, of whatever's going on inside of them and who they are. So driven by authenticity. When these folks are healthy, that comes out in a lot of amazing ways. These folks are super creative, highly expressive. They are deep. So if you're hanging out with a four, you know you're about to have some good conversation. You're going to go deep. They're authentic. They are intense. So when when they show up, you can kind of just feel it coming off of them. They have a heightened sense of beauty. So they walk into a space and they are paying attention to the aesthetics and the beauty of that place. And they are emotionally intuitive. They give language to other people. It seems like you're experiencing X, Y, Z. Fours are very gifted at understanding the emotional experiences of others. Now, when it turns dark, when it turns on its head and becomes toxic, it goes the wrong direction, they become overreactive. So something happens and they emotionally backfill that situation until it goes off like a bomb. So they overreact to a situation. They become temperamental. They become dramatic. They become snobbish. So I say Mm -hmm. that they become like the cool police. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's lame. That's cool. That's lame. Stop pointing at me, Lindsay Lewis. (laughs) They become dissatisfied and feel misunderstood. And one of the benchmarks of the four is that they become addicted to differentiation. Whatever others are experiencing, whatever the common thing is in the room, they can accept it as part of themselves because it feels like a threat to their identity. The only way forward for me is to be fully authentic, which means I can't be replicated. I've got to be entirely my own person. And they fixate on it to the point that they can end up really turning a blind eye towards beautiful things in their life Mm -hmm. because there's lots of common things that are deeply beautiful. They're like the pendulum from the three. They're like, we're going to go the opposite way. Yeah, yeah. They're like the fail-safe for the three, you know? (laughs) Well, it's so interesting listening to you because they do sound like opposites, and yet both could be susceptible to that sort of cult of identity in this for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole thing yeah. with Enneagram. It's just the motivation is different. So the three is trying to get that identity that makes them the best or gives them success or gives them recognition, whereas the four is trying to get that identity to give make them unique, make them mm-hmm. special. But there's still a, a falseness. Whatever the motivation mm-hmm. is, there's a falseness to the pursuit if we're not careful about it. So interesting. Yes. yes. Yeah. And and we didn't talk about this here, so we're not going to go too far down this, but it's worth saying that types two, type three, and type four are in a thing called the heart triad, and they are fundamentally searching for identity. There's a layer in which somewhere in the mystery of nature and nurture, they feel as though they lost an identity and that they now need to go create one in order to have value and love among you know their community. So those folks are mm-hmm. oriented around who am I? Yeah. What is my identity as a person? Well, number five. Yeah. That is the beginning of our head triad, speaking of the triad. So this is going to have a much different feel. You know, these people are looking for security and safety more so than identity. So for the five, we call them the investigators. These are our epic head types. They are driven by a desire to be competent, knowledgeable. They want to know all about how things work. You know, they want to know the intricate details. And when they're resourceful, they're scholarly, they're wise, they're very objective. They're not ruled by emotions. They're intelligent. They're very reflective. And they can be very witty, like that dry sense of humor. 
there are a few places that are more enjoyable than sitting next to a type five in a meeting yeah. because they will make incredible jokes and it's a one-time performance yeah. and you need to be sitting right next to them when it happens. It's yeah. great. Yes. They're just going to kind of like say it under their breath. Yeah. yeah. When they're not resourceful, though, they can become reclusive, kind of antisocial. They're in their study on YouTube or Google, you know, doing their thing. They don't really feel the need for relationships and they can act superior because they are so knowledgeable about things and they become relationally detached, cold, and they have a scarcity mindset. Like I need to protect my resources as in my physical, my energy, but then also maybe my money or my talents or my time. It's very much a scarcity mindset. Yeah. So there's a relational stinginess that can really kind of overtake their life. And the lie that the five often believes is that they're just being prudent. I'm just not being emotionally overreactive. And what happens over time is that they train themselves subconsciously, they don't mean to, into a space in which sort of they try to turn their emotions off. They try to withdraw from as many relationships as possible. And they even try to get to where they themselves don't want to have needs. So they begin to neglect their own needs as well because everything is about resources. It's like, anytime I interact with you, you're using my relational fuel. Anytime that I have a personal desire for something, Mm -hmm. okay, now I've got to go figure out how I'm going to take it. So their fixation is just around resources. Yeah. So interesting because we've been talking again in this series about some of these like introversion, some of these traits that are more... Mm -hmm genetically biased. Not that every five is a, is an introvert, because I don't know that that's necessarily true, although I'm hearing some components of that. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, we've been talking a little bit about different sacred pathways, different forms of intelligence, and how I'm just listening to you going, thinking of the fives I love. There's a lot of ways in which some forms of especially evangelical churches aren't super tailored toward a five yeah. in some ways, where there's a quiet, there's a contemplation, there's a need to kind of, you know, be a little bit cynical, not in an unhealthy way, right? Mm -hmm. That that there's such a need for us to consider all different types and not sideline folks. You know, my spouse doesn't want to go to all these social events. And it's like, well, that isn't the benchmark of what makes one a good Christian. Mm -hmm. Someone who is more inclined toward being a five may need to think, what does that look like in corporate worship. It might look a little different for a five than it's going to look for a two. Right. Yes. I think fives are naturally more contemplative than some of the rest of us, you know, especially the the heart triad, you know, they might never get to a place where they're going to be super expressive in worship, but there are spiritual disciplines that when they're really trying to get in touch with their heart, with their soul and, you know, relationship with God, they can be contemplative masters while the rest of us are just barely eking out, you know, silence and solitude. Like some of us, two minutes is too long. And for them, they can really go to that deep place within themselves. I love that. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what I love about my fives. They mm-hmm. just keep it real. Mm-hmm. What's yes. real? What matters, not what's for show. Yeah. Okay, so type six, uh, commonly referred to as the loyalist. And so these folks are driven by a really deep desire for security. So we talk about sort of the whole triad wants it. Okay, six is one at like times two. Like it just (laughs) is like very, very pronounced in what drives them as people. When that comes out in a healthy way, I say that they represent the covenant of God. These, These are just very, these are covenant people. When they say yes, they hold to that yes. When they say no, it means no but they will make deep sacrifices for the sake of the community. They're faithful people. They're committed people, highly responsible. The original Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts of America, they are ready for whatever comes. They are dependable. They're systematic. They are honorable people. They don't tend to have a lot of deception in them. And they're committed to security. They want our communities to be places of safety. So when we live in a country right now where there's unexpected violence, Sixes tend to be a lot of the personality type that are going, what protocols can we put in place to keep our children safe? So sixes are proactive thinkers. But as we all know, when we are anticipating things that have not yet happened, it can really spin out of control. And so for sixes, they can become catastrophic thinkers. So they just think all the worst case scenarios because they need to plan for all the worst case scenarios. And then over time, what happens is that that becomes their go-to way of thinking, where they almost become allergic to hope, allergic to the possibility that there could be good days ahead. They become skeptical of other people, so they're 
disposition initially is always to stand back and observe, and the other people have to prove their loyalty. They are anxious, they're self-doubters, they can be uptight, rigid, wary, and reluctant. And the thing is that, you know, with all of our types, perception is reality. And the, the big thing that the six is, their ongoing battle in life is just because it might be true doesn't determine that it is true. And just because inside of who you are as a person, you think the other person might have this other motivation it doesn't actually decide that they do have that motivation. So projection is just an ongoing struggle for sixes that they always have to be mindful of and really ask themselves, how much am I thrusting another person into a role when actually there's no evidence that that person is that way? So they have to wrestle through that. Yeah. Minding your mind. We just did a whole series on this, Mm. really minding what kind of conclusions you're jumping to. So good. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you this, though. My wife is a six. And if you got kids, Mm. having a six spouse is pretty awesome when you go to the doctor. Because about Mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, my wife knows more than the doctor because they are researchers. They study. Mm -hmm. They check things out. They do not just sort of let the paperwork decide things. They are going to make sure everyone has been adequately cared for and they're not just going to get lost in, you know, just pushing that paper down the line. I'm guessing you don't like run out of toilet paper and Kleenexes and very rarely all those things as well. Like yeah. they are stocked and prepared. Yeah, I did actually a few years back have to put, I was like, okay, we look like the Beverly Hillbillies when we go on vacation. <laughs> we really, really got to dial this back. So we have a little too much protocol going on vacation with us. So. <laughs> That's hilarious, especially with their little, oh, you got a lot. Yeah, a lot of yeah, protocol. yeah. So and in my wife's case, she's she's got a seven wing. You know, we'll talk about the seven in a second. But I say that there's regular Lindsay. So my wife's name is Lindsay. So there's regular Lindsay and then there's vacation Lindsay. And like, because she just learns how to like let it go. Oh, so yeah. Good. So not this Lindsay. Not this this Lindsay, Lindsay is married to Drew. Yes. I'm married to my wife, Lindsay. Yes. Well, speaking of the sevens, the sevens are our enthusiasts. I say the sevens are Peter Pan. Like if you think about all the perks of Peter Pan and all the pitfalls of Peter Pan, that is your seven. So they are driven by a desire to enjoy life and to experience all that life has to offer, whether that's reading every book or going to every resort. It's different for each seven, but they love that endless possibilities. So when they're resourceful, they are so joyful. They're optimistic. They're very, you know, childlike, energetic. They're optimistic about what you can accomplish and what I can accomplish what we can accomplish together. They're imaginative. They're very quick thinking because they're just, you know, they're just ready to go. But the flip side of that is they can become unreliable and scattered. You know, they want to wait for the best possible situation before they're going to commit. So they are like, well, I might come to your party on Friday, but if something better comes along, you know, I'm going to go do that instead. They are indulgent. You know, they can come across as very juvenile, like, like that Peter Pan, like, I won't grow up. Like, I refuse. Like, I I don't want to go to school, you know, and they're irresponsible. And then they can become demanding, you know, because they do not want others to infringe upon their freedom to have all the joy and all the excess that life has to offer. Yeah, you know, I made earlier, I, just talk, I talked about Kevin Hart, but just in thinking about like comedians in general, comedians in general, probably the highest type among them would be type seven. Now, the other thing that's common among comedians is addiction. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. overdoses that happen within the comedic community. And it's because the number one struggle for sevens, they are the most sensitive to pain. And in Mm. fact, a lot of sevens, and, and this is true, we will get complaints from type sevens about our show because they say, you're so negative about us. And we'll go back and we'll check the minutes, we'll check the notes, and it's verbatim the exact same as we've done for everybody else. It's that they feel it mm. with a much greater intensity. Mm-hmm. They are terrified at an mm. existential level of being trapped in pain. And that's why there's a tendency to overindulge. So too much of a good thing is almost enough for the seven. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's a journey for them to learn how to live in reality mm. without sort of running off to the next exciting adventure in their mind by distracting yeah. themselves or distracting the people around them. So a lot of times if we do workshops, you know, we get to this and sevens, it's hard for them to not make jokes, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. lighten the mood because it, to them it feels cruel what we're doing. Yeah. I've heard a lot of teachers say too that as children or, you know, young people, 
that the fours and the sevens can often look really similar because they're these people with the big emotions, you know, the big highs and the big lows. And somewhere, you know, like you said, nature and nurture, you know, we don't really know. It's like the fours land in the deep end of the pool and they decide this is where I'm going to stay. I'm really comfortable with pain. Anything that's, you know, kind of not dark is inauthentic. And then the sevens say, no, we're going to completely put that away. We refuse to look at it. They're on the end with the water slides yes. and the the squirt guns right. and the pool floaties. and the. So those two can have a hard time with each other, like a four and a seven, you know, together trying to work through something. But really, they are what each other needs, you know, mm-hmm. to achieve balance. Because one brings the gift of lament. Mm-hmm. We need that gift. And the other one brings the gift of celebration. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times what we see, you know, Christian radio is like all about the seven energy. It's celebration all the time. And fours kind of bring an energy that challenges some of that. Mm-hmm. But we also know we should not just sit perpetually in grief. Yeah, We need to learn the discipline. This sounds strange to say, but the discipline of celebration. Mm-hmm. And sevens bring that into the room and say, we need to feast because good things are happening. Yeah. That's right. And sometimes we need to take a break. We need healthy mm-hmm. escapes, I always say. We need healthy pleasure. We need healthy comfort they can bring that to us. Um, yes. That's beautiful. Yeah, you guys are amazing. It's, it's super helpful. My family and my dogs are so happy to have discovered Sunday's Food for Dogs. It is amazing. It's nutritious, affordable, air-dried dog food that contains 90% meat, 10% vegetables, and 0% synthetic nutrients. Sunday's was co-founded by Dr. Tori, a practicing veterinarian. And besides USDA beef and all-natural chicken, you'll find digestive aids and disease-fighting antioxidants for your beloved pets. My dogs go crazy over Sundays. I'm not kidding. I mean, we bring out the dog food and they both just go nuts for Sundays. And we have one dog in particular. We have two doodles. Our one doodle is a little bit older. She's 10 years old and she's been getting kind of picky about her food. She hasn't wanted to eat, but she loves Sundays. She's so excited. She's doing great. They both have more energy. We want them to be around for a long time. Unlike other fresh dog foods, Sundays has zero prep, zero mess, and zero stress. It's shelf-stable, which makes it easier to feed your pups top-quality food. Every order ships right to your door, so you'll never worry about running out of dog food again. Best of all, Sundays cost 40% less than other healthy dog food brands because Sundays doesn't waste money shipping frozen packages. Instead, they spend on what matters, which is sourcing the best all-natural ingredients for your pup. We worked out a special deal for our dog-loving listeners. Get 35% off your first order of Sundays. Go to sundaysfordogs.com slash bestofyou or use code bestofyou at checkout. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S dot com forward slash bestofyou. Did you know that Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors breathing around 30,000 gallons of air daily? According to the EPA, indoor air could be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases it can be a hundred times more polluted. So what's the solution? Well, Air Doctor has introduced an air purifier that has captured the attention of established media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold so your lungs don't have to. Their Ultra HEPA filter that's been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested bacteria and viruses and virtually 100% of particles as small as 0.003 microns. They also feature whisper jet fans 30% quieter than ordinary air purifiers. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. Head out to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code BEST OF YOU. Depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. Lock this special offer in today by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code BEST OF YOU. Well, we're going to round things out with the last two. So this is actually going into what I refer to as the body triad. Some people call it the gut triad. These folks uh, interpret the world through bodily gut instincts, street smarts, and it's at an instinctual level. And these folks are searching for freedom. Autonomy, the ability to make their own decisions and live by their own convictions is really key for these folks. So these are types eight, nine, and one. So type eight, these folks are called the protector. These folks are driven by a deep desire 
to be able to protect themselves from injustice and to protect other people from injustice. Mm -hmm. They have a strong orientation around distribution of power and power dynamics in a relationship. And uh, when they are healthy and using this in, in healthy ways, these folks are strong. The rest of us are running on 110. They run on 220. <laughs> they need less sleep. They can go longer. They can do more. They're freaks of nature in that regard. They can just mm -hmm. do so much. They are natural leaders because of their disposition. Their bodily chemistry, they tend to be kind of broad-shouldered. They sort of just stand their ground more. When they're there, you know they're there. They're commanding, they're prophetic, they are assertive, they're self-confidence, they're intense, tons of energy. When they're healthy, and this is always an interesting one, when they're really healthy, a lot of type 8s become therapists, and when they're healthy, they are the exact opposite yeah. of the stereotypes of the 8. I heard Dan Allender say he's an 8. He is an 8. Yeah. yeah. We, we had him on the show, and, uh, and he's a great example of when an 8 really takes on empathy and joins in another person's pain and suffering— they learn how to harness their own strength. Instead of running from their own pain, they begin to make peace with it. And so strength doesn't become the solution to everything. So when they become unhealthy, these folks become aggressive. They become domineering. They, they become bulls in a china shop. There's no reverence for other people's tenderness. Mm. And there's no reverence for their own because tenderness is anti-strength. And strength is what will win the day. So they don't do a good job when they feel slighted or attacked by others. They become vengeful. Mm -hmm. And because eights are often very good at asserting themselves, it turns into an arm wrestling match and they do usually win. Mm -hmm. There's a pleasure in fighting. There's a pleasure in arguments. They can take it on almost recreationally. And the biggest thing is this. If someone has told you this over and over again in your life, consider how much eight you have. And here it is. I don't feel heard by you. Mm -hmm. You don't listen to me. When an unhealthy eight gets going, their energy is so blinding to them that it's impossible. It's Mount Everest for them to think that the other person's point of view has any validity and that the other person isn't just sort of whining and complaining. So the eight has got to learn how to harness their strength. And uh, my pastor always says, meekness is not weakness, it's controlled strength. And that's the journey for the eight. It's so interesting because to me, what I hear in some of the unhealthy, it is classic features of narcissism. But I would recommend there's a wonderful book, When Narcissism Comes to Church by Chuck yes, DeGroote, a wonderful friend yes. of mine. And he actually talks about narcissism, the faces of it, because the eight is sort of the stereotypical, mm -hmm. I think the threes and the eights. But he mm -hmm. he says, mm, actually, it shows up in just subtler forms yeah. in other yep. types. It's just the most sort of stereotypical form in the unhealthy eight. Is that fair to say? Would you agree with that? Yeah, it tends to be that eight and seven energy both because mm. the seven can, when they're really unhealthy, they have a narcissistic view that's sort of about, well, how does this affect me? And so when it merges with that eight appetite, eights just kind of have this big mm -hmm. appetite for intensity, especially like let's go skydiving and go whitewater rafting and go run the meeting and start a new business. Mm -hmm. Like Eat a whole cake. It's just like the appetite is just so massive. And so the, the big journey for the eight really is in childhood, they often had to be bigger than they actually were. Something happened where they weren't big enough to handle the problem, but they had to become. So sometimes people had severe illness. They were hospitalized a lot as children. Sometimes they grew up in families where there was a lot of fighting. And so what happened is that that child eight had to sacrifice their own childhood innocence to be bigger than they were. And what happened is that the byproducts of innocence are things like tenderness, things like vulnerability, things like gentleness. Those are the things that come out. And because the eight sacrifices in their childhood, those things tend to be underdeveloped. So the journey for the eight is to go back. When you see an eight around a baby, mm -hmm. or you see an eight around a puppy, or you see an eight around some situation where they perceive innocence in the other, you see that come out in the eight, but the eight has to also learn they deserve that as well. Yeah. That same kindness and tenderness. And then out of that, a sweetness can begin to emerge that is such a gift to everybody. Beautiful. Like I told you at the beginning, you know, my original story with the Enneagram was learning that people had these other lenses and the hardest number for me and at that time were these type eights, you know, that I was so focused on being appropriate in every situation, you know, always being the good girl, being very restrained, you know, keeping my anger in. And then here are these people, you know, just like living life without a seatbelt. And I really thought, oh, those people are literally just choosing to be quote unquote 
bad people. And when I read about the eight, you know, in an Enneagram book, I cried because I, I, I just understood. And I think a lot of people struggle with that with the eight. If they don't have an aggressive energy about them, that it feels like, well, why do you get to come in here and suck out all the oxygen in the room? You know, why do you get to always be at the head of the table when the rest of us are kind of waiting for someone to give us something? And to understand where the eights are coming from really helps me appreciate and then want to dig deep and find some of that eight within myself. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe there are times where you could take initiative. You could be more assertive. You could care more about justice and speak up, you know, that we can learn so much. We need to be mad about some things. There are things, there are things in this world that deserve our anger. And it is, it is a holy and good and appropriate thing to be mad about those things. Isn't it hypothesized that Martin Luther King Jr. was probably an eight? I've heard eight and I've heard one. Yeah, I've heard both those. Yeah, Yeah, both those. Yeah. And then I, I wonder just listening, I wonder if Paul the Apostle mm. Paul. Who knows? I mean, Paul, you know, that's Paul's just speculative. So I'm going one. On I also him. give him the one. Yeah, because he's all about <laughs> okay. like, don't do this, do do this. Like, this that's is a good the point. way. You Roll know, yeah. follower. Yeah, yeah. Eight, yeah, eights tend to be pretty to the point. And sometimes I, I'm like, you know, Paul, I know, mm-hmm. word of God. I understand. <laughs> come on, man. Come on, I man. I could see Peter. I could see Peter being an eight. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. cut off the air. Like, that's a good point. You know, I'm just going to speak my mind. And Jesus is like, whoa. Yeah. No, that's not it. Or yes, that is it. You know, Yeah. he was very impulsive, you know. Okay. Well, we talked about the pendulum swing between the three and the four, even though they're in the heart triad. Well, I think this is an equal pendulum swing in the gut triad between the eight and the nine. So you have someone who's constantly stirring the waters and then we come to the nine and these are the peacemakers. They want the waters to not have a single ripple internally or externally. These people are driven by a desire for peace within themselves and within the world, like a wholeness that comes from like a harmony of humanity. So when these people are healthy, they are seeing all sides. You know, they can listen to an argument and say, oh, that makes sense. And then they hear the other side and they're like, and that makes sense too. And the two people arguing are like, wait, what? (laughs) You can't, you can't agree with both of us. And like, no, I can And they're easygoing, they're friendly, these people are flexible and calm, they're very receptive, they're great listeners. But the flip side is, is they can be passive to a fault, you know, listening without ever actually saying what they think or knowing what they think. Mm -hmm. They're stubborn, but it's a silent stubbornness often of digging in of heels They are conflict averse. So even when there needs to be some of that healthy conflict, they will resist and they'll procrastinate partly because they have a hard time prioritizing because they see the value of all the things that need to be done. And so it's hard to choose what I'm going to do in this moment. And then they can become lazy, you know, that Mm -hmm. it's like, well, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to just do a quick social media check or I'm going to play a game on my phone or take a quick little nap. And they can be really indecisive about deep things, about, you know, what are my desires? You know, where do I want my life to go? And indecisive for the people around them as well about their goals and where things are going. And Or, or even like, hey, where do you want to go to dinner? And yeah. like, if you've ever like immigrated to a new country, it takes less time <laughs> to do that than it does for like a nine to decide what the dinner plans are. It's true. Like they can end up really sleepwalking through their entire life. Yeah. And yeah. that's not good. <laughs> so And yeah. so pleasant to be around. They're so wonderful right? to be around. I know. Yes. And that's and the, when you love a nine, just to be really mindful of of not taking advantage yes. of that illusion. I think this is true of the twos too, not taking advantage mm-hmm. of the helpful nature, but learning to love a nine or, or in a two in a different way, but but trying to learn to actually kind of invite them mm-hmm. to speak their mind, to be a little bit walking into conflict. Because it's so easy. Yes. They're so nice to be around. You can just sort of take advantage of that almost and subtly reinforce what they actually need to work through. Yes. I always say if you, I actually learned this the hard way because my husband is a nine. And when I was pregnant with our second born, I had lots of cravings. I always have cravings. I'm always like, I know exactly what I want to eat. You know, I know where I want to go. But I'll be nice and say like, oh, well, where do you want to go? And, you know, for which the you ma- don't really mean. No, for the majority <laughs> of our marriage, it's like he doesn't care. I get to go wherever I want. But we were on this Enneagram journey, you know, so he's trying to cultivate some desires 
and starting with the easiest, you know, the lighter things. And so I really wanted pizza and I gave him three options because that's a great way with nines. Like, do you want this, this or this? Like, does any of these sound good or not good? He was like, not pizza. And it took, you know, so much because I was pregnant. So I deserved to have my pizza, you know. Mm-hmm. But I was like, no, the, the one thing that you can do if you're loving a nine yeah. in your life is when they do speak up a preference, you give it to them. Yeah. You don't have to make a big deal about it, but you just do it because they need the practice. That's right. And they really don't mind. If I had said, oh, I really wanted pizza, he'd be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. I like pizza. It's good. You know, but that would have been a step backward in him trying to cultivate an assertiveness to his own needs and desires. And I always say there's like, there's two sides to this, right? So for those that are not nines, but in Mm -hmm. a relationship with a nine, understand they need a long runway. They need a longer runway than most people because it takes them a while to kind of figure out where are we going? What are the words I'm looking for? There's a meandering sort of kind of style that they have. Don't cut off the runway. You got to give them the runway. And that means the rest of us have got to hold back our energy to give them the space they need to get there. And also to the nines, it is wrong to make other people live your life for you. And that's the thing that so many nines end up settling for is well, I'll let everybody else make all the decisions. And that's a huge burden to put on others. And the fundamental belief of the nine is I don't have what it takes. Everybody else has it. I don't have it. It doesn't matter. I can't change outcomes. I can't mm-hmm. influence where things go. I don't have the energy, the strength, the clarity. the And all of that is not true. Yeah, Nines are such a gift, but it does require the nine to exert themselves. Mm-hmm. And that will require the nine to wake up out of the trance that so many of them are in. The cheap version that nines settle for is comfort. Mm-hmm. The real thing they want is shalom. Mm-hmm. And shalom often requires a struggle mm-hmm. towards ultimate peace. And so many of us just settle for this synthetic, junky version that is, you know, we wake up one day and we went, oh my gosh, I, I literally just sort of wasted away these different days that were so important. So to all the nines listening, your presence matters. Aim for shalom. Don't just aim for comfort. Mm-hmm. I love that. You guys are amazing. This is so rich. Mm, and I hope, you. I know my listeners are just going to be wanting more, more. And I can just hear the wheels churning, right? Well, what does this mean? What if I live with this type? Or what if my kid <laughs> is this type? Yeah. So how do people find out more? Tell us where we can find you and learn more about how to use this in our lives. Well, okay, so there's a few options. So the first thing is this, is that Lindsay and I do co-host uh, together a, a podcast called The Inia Cast. And so wherever you get podcasts, you can go and check that one out. And so it's Inia, like Enneagram, and then Cast. And then the other thing is this, is that literally this week, we are actually in the process of launching a brand new website called RelateBetter.com. And that is going to have a bunch of different tools with the ultimate goal being this. Our conviction is that the purpose of life is relationships. Jesus says, love God, love other people as you love yourselves, which is to say, everything in the totality of our life comes back to that. That's what we're going to care about on our deathbeds. It's what we care about when we go to sleep every night. So our new website is going to slowly add increasing amounts of tools to help people hopefully experience better relationships. So we'll kick things off with a whole bunch of Enneagram stuff and sort of wave one of those tools. And then we've got uh, some life mapping stuff that's coming down the pipeline. We got some surprises coming. (laughs) So whether you're a therapist or whether you're somebody that is just, I just want to learn how to have more relational intelligence, we want to help you with that. So go to relatebetter.com. And then if you want to know about our parent organization, it's called Love Thy Neighborhood. And we say we're like the Peace Corps with Bibles. And so you can go to lovethyneighborhood.org. We also have a podcast also called Love the Neighborhood. It's like, uh, if you baptized NPR, that's our show. So, And also, I do have a book called How We Relate, Understanding God, Yourself, and Others Through the Enneagram. So if you're looking for an approach to the Enneagram yeah. that is deeply infused in the character of Jesus into the heart of the gospel, that is this book. It's the book I wish I had when I first came across the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. So you will definitely encounter the gospel in addition to Enneagram theory. You were both kind of referring to that a little bit. And I was like, oh, I need to take a look at whatever you guys are looking at. It was your book, Jesse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I wrote it for all folks. So a lot of Enneagram stuff sometimes is pretty highbrow and you got to have a certain acumen. This is a book literally written for blue collar folks all the way up to, you know, people that are trained psychologists. It is a very accessible book. What about our teenagers, young adult kids? Mine's reading it. Mine's reading it right now. Yeah, she read like a little tiny primer and wanted more. 
And so I gave her Jessie's book and she's 13. She's almost 14, I guess. No, she's 13. She loves it. Like she has a lot of graphics in it, images, and she can really understand it. You know, that, yeah, the language is accessible to her. She's really loving it. And I'm loving it because I've been restraining myself from telling her her number, you know, for all these years. She goes, I think I might be a four. And I was like, oh, really? Do you think Uh, that maybe? I do the same. I just, I cannot keep myself back from typing everybody in my family. That's great. Well, that's a great resource. Thank you so much. And is there anything else? Lindsay and I also lead workshops. And so we lead workshops everywhere from you can come to our office and we have public workshops that we do. We also do things for church communities and we also do things for corporations. So we actually do work with a Fortune 500 company and we modify our workshops in those contexts to be appropriate for a diverse audience. But we offer a free one hour study at the end for anyone that wants to stay where we talk about the character of Jesus and what he does with all these giant existential questions. So yeah, you can learn more about our workshops as well. Also by going to relatebetter.com. Cool. So you'll go into like churches and do workshops Mm -hmm. on this. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Awesome. You guys are, it's just so rich. I just, I can't say more about, first of all, I just think the Enneagram is so rich. And then Mm -hmm. when you bring it together with a Christ-centered approach and make it a tool of spiritual formation as you guys are doing in such a deep and nuanced and life-giving way, it just brings real change, not only, again, to your life. It's not just navel-gazing, to your relationships. And I love that you guys are doing this. Thank you so much for taking the time. This is one of our longer episodes, but it's just so rich. Everything you say, all the words you're saying, I'm just kind of hanging on. You have such a, a great way with this. Thank you for taking the time to be here. Yes, Well, thank it's you. our pleasure, our mm-hmm. pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of The Best of You. It would mean so much if you take a moment to subscribe. You can go to Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts and click the plus or follow button. That will ensure you don't miss an episode and it helps get the word out to others. While you're there, I'd love it if you leave your five-star review. I look forward to seeing you back here next Thursday. And remember, as you become the best of who you are, you honor God, you heal others, and you stay true to your God-given self.